Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, August 7th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? You said it's August? It is, yes. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the weather we've had in the UK, you'd think it was... I don't know, sometime in the spring or late fall. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Well, it's been very, I'm still in the U.S. and it's been pretty warm yeah. here, although there's a little bit of a, been some relief over the last few days. So it's been a little bit better, but um, yeah, well, hopefully you'll get some late, you know, I don't know, maybe August will be kind to you. <laughs> it's some warm, warm weather. Um, what's going on in the MBA admissions world? Yeah, things are pretty quiet at this juncture, you know, in terms of um, conversation on live wire. Um, it, it's going to remain a little bit quiet until uh, round one really kicks in. Um, so from that standpoint, things are pretty quiet. I mean, obviously, Columbia has its J term, so there'll be some activity around that. Yeah. Um, and and so forth. But the round one deadlines will, will be upon us um, quite soon, actually, Graham. You know, in, in about yeah. a month's time. But 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 as of right now, yeah, I, I imagine lots of people are prepping. Yeah, exactly. And if you're prepping, what's the best? Like the single thing you could do, um, you know, in the in the coming weeks, any ideas? I have one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Show up at our, 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 our webinar tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to actually. That's right. Yeah. So that's that's one thing. The yeah. other thing I was thinking about is um, just register on clearedmit.com and get access to Clearedmit Plus stuff, so you can get access to the yeah. admissions academy videos that we've got. I think they're twenty five videos. They're each less than ten minutes long. And they, you know, tackle every aspect of the admissions process. And we've got so yeah. much stuff on the site, including, you know, some tools to analyze data from Livewire. So sign up on our site. It's free. You just have to register. And yeah, no, there's no strings. So it's totally just free information. Yeah. And as a result of that, you can come to our webinar tonight. You're right. Yeah. Because you got to be registered to come to the webinar. Or this afternoon, whatever time of day yes. it is in your part of the world. For me, exactly. it's later in the day. <laughs> um, the other thing I just wanted to mention before we get into some of the latest news and notes from the site is that we continue to run our summer survey. And this one's about media habits. So um, if you feel like answering questions about your favorite networks, where you get your news, um, whether you you know subscribe to a, a streaming music service, all that kind of stuff, we're doing this really fun survey to just better understand um, prospective MBA candidates and their sort of media habits, you can fill out the survey by going to bit.ly forward slash CA summer survey. Um, and, you know, we, we're working with a number of schools on this, so it should be really interesting to gather this data um, and, yeah, just better understand what people are, are up to when they're not writing essays or focusing uh, <laughs> on their applications. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So, so, so Graham, I'm mm -hmm. going to put you on the spot. Where do you get your news? Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I, I use Apple News, so I get, you know, that gives me like a nice stream of sort of everything, but I try to read, you know, both, um, you know, because normally I'm living in Paris, right? So I, I do read some of the French press, but then obviously, you know, outlets like the, you know, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. I try to not get into any one camp. Um, I like The Economist too, out of the UK. So try to get news from everywhere, especially in this day and age. Um, and you, Alex, being the expert on, what is it, uh, weaponizing disinformation or whatever. whatever I, I, you, you, you're not getting your news no, from No, 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 no. <laughs> and I'm not on like 4chan looking for news <laughs> either, right? So, <laughs> nice. um, but anyway, nice. yeah. So, so fill out our survey. It's really interesting. And it should take you like less than five minutes. Um, the other thing I want to just... Yeah. I, I still get my news from the BBC, just to there let you, go. you know. Yeah, um, that's good. That's a good source too. Uh, so... The other big news in our space is that the University of Chicago booth announced 
uh, a new program. They have this master's in management. I want to just read you kind of a little snippet from the article that we wrote on our website. And it basically just says, Booth has announced the launch of a new master in management degree designed for recent college graduates who studied humanities, arts, social science, biological sciences, or physical sciences. The new program invites candidates with limited work experience to study business and management at one of the most prestigious business schools in the U.S. So the thing that I think is interesting here is that thus far, U.S. MBA programs have been attracting candidates who are younger by offering these deferred enrollment opportunities where you just apply when you're a senior in college and then, you know, get started after working for a couple of years, but you have kind of reserve your seat in the MBA. But this move by Booth is a bit different in that this allows college grads to start right away in a master's in management. And it seems very much geared towards those who have no exposure or limited exposure to business stuff, right? So you notice they want humanities, arts, you know, social sciences and, and some regular physical sciences and, and stuff. But, you know, they're not asking for undergraduate business students to apply to this degree. So it's kind of an interesting move on their part. What's your take? Yeah, very interesting. And I know we've talked about this um, sort of related stuff um, before. And I know Yale has, their deferred program has to start, right? Is that right? For a year, then go away, then come back. And that's to get the MBA. So we're starting to see different models out there in the marketplace. Um, And yeah, I think it's it's super interesting and it's good to see even the top programs like Chicago and Yale and and so forth adapting to the the environment. I mean, the two-year MBA has been the traditional format for, Mm -hmm. what, 50 years? Um, Obviously, in Europe, it's more a one-year proposition um, that's been in play for for lots of years. Um, But yeah. The, the, the marketplace does dictate some agility here, and I, I like this. Yeah, and I think um, what you're talking about is Yale's Silver Scholars Program, which has been around for a long time, but yeah. is very unusual in that, unlike all the other deferred enrollments, you start right away and do a year of the core curriculum. Then you go off and work for a year, I think it is, as a kind of an, an extended internship. And then you come back and finish, and you end up with an MBA, and you're still super young. So, yeah, so their program's appealing, yeah. too. Anyway, it just we'll have to keep an eye on this. And, it, and it's quite, yeah, honestly, though, um, Graham, I'm just, just thinking about it out loud. It's quite clever on the part of Yale, um, their design, because it does lock the deferred right. candidate in <laughs> to their program because they're starting it straight away. Whereas these other deferred candidates, they're, they're looking at, you know, starting in two or three years time. And a lot happens in life in two or three years. Um, so the yield on those types of deferred programs, I imagine, is less than the yield on their traditional, um, yeah. you know, applying, you know, when, when, when you actually want to go. So yeah, hats off to Yale. I think their, their design is really smart. Yeah. It is interesting. This whole sort of conundrum of, you know, I, I don't know how I mean, it's, it's going to be and from an enrollment management standpoint, the schools that offer these deferred programs have a lot of, you know, juggling to do, right. Cause they don't know, like you said, what percentage are going to really show up. They'll get, they'll get the hang of it over time. Mm. Um, but you're right. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> new variables introduced when you're kind of offering someone to see many years in advance. So, um, so anyways, that's, you can read the article on our site about Chicago Booth's new degree offering. Uh, other news from the website before we get into this week's candidates, we did a, a Real Humans. And I know I had promised that we were kind of, I thought we were done <laughs> with the Real Humans series for alumni, but we did collect with, um, connect, sorry, with Elizabeth Jimenez, who is a Tuck grad from uh, the class of 19. 
And she is a senior vice president uh, in strategic risk at Citi, so working in finance. And she mentioned, you know, I we always I try to pull some fun quotes. And she said, uh, giving advice to kind of future candidates who are applying to business school. She said, "I wish someone had told me to be more bold in my applications. I had heard that two thirds of MBA grads change jobs three years after graduation, and wow, has that held true." How would I have interviewed differently if I knew that my first job out of talk would not define me? Possibly learning about other alumni and their you know, circuitous paths would have helped me to come to that conclusion. So I think what she's basically getting at is that you know, there's this emphasis put on like, what's your first job going to be? And and everything is kind of geared around that when you're writing your applications and thinking about business school. Um, but as she points out, like, you know, everyone's like changing jobs right away after a couple of years, usually <laughs> after they've graduated. So she just would have probably, it sounds like investigated even more into kind of different paths that people take and talk to more alumni, I guess. So that was kind of interesting to hear. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting advice Yeah, and something we don't really discuss at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, very good. It's kind of odd. Um, she's in this role, strategic risk. I know this is completely tangentially unrelated or whatever, <laughs> but I'm doing a lot of reading on trust mm-hmm. because I'm a big believer that trust sort of underpins this sort of dynamic between business and customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, what is strategic risk? Is strategic trust, right? Your your risk um, appetite relates or correlates directly with trust in in any kind of relationship, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's lending money or whatever it might be. So anyway, strategic risk could be a strategic trust um, (laughs) position. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, I don't know if it could or it couldn't. I'm just blowing off steam. (laughs) Um, The other thing we did on the site with respect to kind of connecting with people is we did a couple of admissions director Q&As. So we talked with Donna Levinson from MIT Sloan. I've had Donna on the podcast before. She's terrific. I got to get her to come back and do an updated, you know, Q&A with us here. Um, But she gave some interesting advice in terms of how you should think about Sloan's application and the different components. And, And if you'll recall, their application is pretty streamlined. You know, they have kind of a resume, you have to submit a cover letter, um, and then there's a video component, and you know you fill out an, an application form, but it's pretty straightforward. But she said, I suggest that people think about the cover letter, resume, and the video where you're introducing yourself to your classmates as a package to tell your story. The resume provides your work history. The video shares who you are and what you're passionate about, and the cover letter pulls it all together and answers why MIT Sloan. So it's just a nice, very succinct kind of summary from her as to like how you might frame your approach to these components of their process. So I thought that was useful to read. Do they still have the additional essay once you've been invited to interview? Is that part of their process? Yeah, they're still doing that as far as I know. That Yeah, once you're invited to interview, you have to write another essay um, before you Which, interview, I believe. Yeah. Um, it's just another part of their process. And they're, well, you know, I mean, they're, they're super smart over there, very operationally oriented, I think, in the sense that they've determined, you know what, let's take some of these steps and put them after someone's made the interview cut. Like why, you know, yeah. why spend all this time reading all these essays when we can first kind of refine the pool, get it down to who we really are passionate about interviewing, et cetera, and then get more data from them. So pretty smart approach, if you ask me. Um, so that was uh, Donna from MIT. And then we also cl- uh, connected with Maria Pineda from Maryland uh, Smith. And she said, I asked her, you know, we, we kind of asked her in the piece about different 
courses. We're always kind of interested in, you know, what are, what are some fun courses that your institution has on offer? And she said, our technology entrepreneurship course gives students the opportunity to work with organizations and companies, typically smaller startups, to solve real-life business challenges and make strategic recommendations to develop, implement, and scale practices over time. So they have this kind of experiential course that you can take where you're literally helping um, real companies as they navigate some of these things in the tech entrepreneurship domain. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, no, very good. Um, other than that, um, we've got, uh, you know, as usual, Alex and I are at the ready. If you're tuning in and you want to ask us a question, just write to info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. Um, you can also, you know, always just uh, send us a, a voice memo if you per- prefer to do it that way. Um, we had a bunch of those come in when we celebrated our 300th episode, and it occurred to me that, you know, people could, in theory, send us like little questions on, you know, via audio, and we could answer them that way. Um, but in any event that's how to reach us other than that alex i don't have anything unless you want to you know if you want to get right into the candidates i'm ready let's kick on all right so this is wiretaps candidate number one our first candidate this week uh, is looking at six target mba programs and those programs are columbia harvard michigan kellogg stanford and yale Uh, they have a background in kind of chemicals and energy um, I believe they're kind of coming from an engineering side of all that. Um, that that's what their kind of studies were in, kind of both a, a bachelor's and a master's degree in chemical engineering. Uh, they want to get into consulting after business school, and so they have Accenture, Bain, BCG, Deloitte, KPMG, McKinsey, and PwC on their target list. Their GRE is a 324, and they've got a GPA of 3.99, so almost a perfect GPA. They've been working for six years. They're currently located in Houston, but they did mention in the notes that they are originally from Trinidad and Tobago and that they migrated to the U.S. for college when they were 18 years old and that they've been in the U.S. ever since. Again, they have those two degrees, bachelor's and master's in chemical engineering. So Alex, you would probably say they're very smart. <laughs> and they, they mentioned that they've been working um, since finishing their degrees, they've been working as a process engineer for a uh, specialty chemicals company that's headquartered in Germany. And again, about six years of experience. Um, they've had a bunch of promotions and they want to pivot into consulting, particularly with a focus on sustainable solutions in the energy and chemical sectors. They're thinking of applying through the consortium because they are an underrepresented minority. And they did caveat. It's almost like they could read your mind, Alex. They said, I don't plan on taking the GRE again <laughs> as long because I want to focus on my applications and get them in um, for September, October. So what do you make of this candidacy and what do you make of their sort of stance on the GRE? I wish they would take it again. <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, uh, 399 GPA, chemical engineering undergrad, I mean, this is wicked smart on steroids. I mean, this is really, really good stuff, right? And a master's degree too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so you know, a 324 GRE is close to the median of the schools they're applying, close to, probably a little bit below. Um, but boy, oh boy, you've got to imagine that um, this person should be getting in the 330s with, with their sort of, you know, capacity for, um, you know, because they're just a super smart. Mm-hmm. So... Um, why do I, why did, why does this really, I'm not saying upset me, but, but, but really sort of frustrate me, I guess, is, yeah, fair, fair play, they might well get into any of these programs they're targeting, I mean, they're targeting the very best, Harvard and Stanford are on the list, um, but, um, you know, they might not quite make the cut at the very top of their list, 
Um, and, 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 you know, if they don't make the cut, I would really hone in on this one weakest point of their, their, their overall really strong profile. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you, you know, at the end of the day, 324 GRE for quite, no, you know, most normal people is probably a very good score, but I don't think this is a normal person. So, um, so they should be, you know, if they're smart about their application strategy, they should be presenting their very best score. If that is 330, they got a 399 GPA, they got a master's degree, all in chemical engineering. They got, um, I think, um, three promotions as an engineer. Um, they've got very good um, extracurriculars. Their goals are in sustainability. It's just like check, 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 check. Everything is wonderful. Mm-hmm. All they've got to do is execute really well on their candidacy and they should have lots of great options. Just this one thing that really frustrates me. So. I, and and they're hell, you know, I shouldn't say they're hell bent, I suppose, but they're heck bent on getting into the first round, which puzzles me. Other than they want to know where they land early, so that's yeah. the only advantage for them to be in the first round, right? Um, so so I I would really encourage them to put the brakes on, especially that Harvard Stanford applications. Add Wharton to it and apply to those programs in round two. Um, perhaps along with Sloan and, and apply to the other programs, fair enough, if you want to apply in round one with the, with the lower GRE score. But that would be my um, advice here, Graham. Yeah. And, you know, don't rush. January is a perfectly good time for this candidate to apply. They're not overrepresented. Um, and you need to present your best applications mm. when you're applying to the very best programs. Yeah, I'm kind of a yeah. I, I hear you loud and clear. I'm a, I'm sort of of two minds with this candidate, right? So on the one hand, they're interesting in that you know they're from Trinidad and Tobago. They you know came to the U.S. at age 18. Um, amazing grades, as you said, wicked smart. You know, studying chemical engineering. I mean, there's a lot to like, and also they seem quite active. They're on some boards in their kind of spare time. They've been active even at university as well. So they they seem like you say to tick all these boxes. Um, on the other hand. The things working against them, I guess you could say, are oh, somewhat traditional in this sort of engineering kind of to consulting path, and you know, doing sort of perhaps more technical um, work and things, and and then this low, slightly lower GRE score, which again is a great score and close to the averages for many programs, but falls shy of the averages at the very best schools, many of which they have on their list, and so. I agree. Like they seem, like you say, really set on applying in round one. And I understand the desire to like, oh, get it in, get my decision, know where I'm going to land, et cetera. But I could not agree more that if they would put some time into the GRE, take it again. And as you say, apply in round two to a lot of these top schools, not only might they get better results, um, but they're likely to maybe unlock some financial aid or you know things that may not be there for them. Now that wouldn't be true with say Harvard or Stanford because of the um, those are need based, not merit based. Yeah. But all the merit based schools, you know, that could really pay dividends if they end up, um, you know, conquering this test and getting like a three thirty or something. So in any event, I, yeah, I think you gave them good advice. We'll see what they do. They did mention that they liked your idea of maybe throw some apps in in round one, and if it doesn't work you know, focus on retaking the test and coming in round two to some of these other schools. So we'll see. Um, but it is an yeah. interesting quandary, you know, and I, 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 you know, as you always say, like put your best foot forward and if they think they could do better, they should probably take it again. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, that that's big, big advice, really important for this candidate. I'll just add, because I don't think they're just, 
um, doing only engineering and, and, you know, whatever stuff, which again is wicked smart stuff. But they also currently sit on the advisory board and executive board of two other professional organizations. Right. So yeah. I got to think that this is a highbrow person. Yeah. So, yeah, agreed. Um, so, so, yeah, best of luck to them. They will land somewhere unless they do a horrible job with the, their application. Totally. But I just want to make sure that they land in their best place. Right. Yeah, agree. So I want to thank them for posting. And yeah, let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretaps candidate number two. So our second candidate this week um, comes from an apply wire entry that you selected. And this person is applying to four schools. And the schools are Tuck, Fuqua, Harvard, and Darden. Uh, they want to start in the fall of 24. Um, interesting work experience in that they have been a K-12 educational leader and an ed tech founder prior to business school here. So they've been working in schools. Uh, they want to pivot into consulting and maybe nonprofit social impact work. Uh, they've got Deloitte, Ernst & Young, McKinsey, and some others on the list. Their GRE is a 310, and their GPA is a 3.4. They've been working for five years, and they're currently located in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, they say in their description, in their note, they mention, you know, current educator looking to pivot into consulting within the education sector. So those firms they've selected have education practices, and then they want to eventually found their own charter school network. They're hoping to play a larger role in educational reform from a management and operations lens as well. So listen to this though, Alex. They currently manage 110 employees at a high school. Um, they serve on the board for the National Eagle Scout Association. Um, they help found an ed tech startup that focuses on making mental health resources more accessible for schools in underserved communities. They've published research. I mean, they are you know full on um, you know into this market of ed tech and education. Yeah. Uh, they did mention that their undergrad was in organizational communication and music performance. Um, and, and that, you know, the, as I mentioned, they had a three, four there. They also have a master's in clinical psychology where they have a 3.8 out of four, so a better GPA. And they said they're taking MBA math to beef up their quant background, and they're going to be retaking the GRE in late September. So what do you make of this candidacy, Alex? Yeah, no, super interesting candidate. Um, certainly not traditional right, by right. a long stretch of the imagination, yeah. but looks to have done really well in the education space. Mm-hmm. I really like the the fact that they're completing the MBA math sort of proactively. That's a very smart thing for them to do. Their GRE score is currently relatively horrible if you're targeting the very best programs. In terms of their programs that they're targeting, there's a big gap between Harvard and the top 16 programs. So they might want to look to one or two programs um, between um, those in terms of that range. But mm-hmm. their, their biggest concern right now is get that GRE um, taken care of. Prep really, really well. Get the best score that they possibly can. Don't rush it. Probably target round two, again, much like our previous candidate. They've been told... That And I quote, as a candidate um, with a non-traditional background, I've been told it is crucial for me to apply in the first round. Is that true? I don't know where that kind of advice could have come from, Greg, yeah. but it's definitely not clear admit advice. It's the um, opposite of true. <laughs> right. There's no advantage of applying in round two for anybody other than it gives you more time to put your best profile forward. The only uh, disadvantage would be you wouldn't hear as soon 
Um, for the outcomes, there's maybe a little bit less scholarship money available. Um, but, um, but that said, unless you're overrepresented, um, an overrepresented profile, round two is just as um, good as round one. Just avoid round three in as in any circumstances. Yeah, I mean, all the last rounds, depending on what programs you're targeting. Yeah, um, just to lay lay this out like very clearly, like I think that you know we always tell people, oh, apply early if you can, you know. But it really, when you're an underrepresented candidate, you know, like someone from the education sector in this case, yeah, um, there's no reason not to just put your best foot forward, like you said. And if that means applying yeah. in round two, no big deal at all. Yeah, exactly. So really focus hard on getting a great GRE score, complement that with MBA math, the master's degree, and, and so on and so forth. That's all really good. I love their um, education stuff. Um, also their music stuff, um, as you would appreciate. They've played in every NFL stadia in North America, um, which... Yeah, yeah, I guess that's brilliant. Yeah, that is excellent. <laughs> I didn't know there were 30 NFL stadiums. I suppose there are. It is stadia, right, Graham? Not stadium. Oh, I, I'm not right? a Latin expert, so I couldn't even tell you. I okay. mean, I people... This I'm trying to show off here, but I could be completely wrong. <laughs> I don't right? know. I don't know. In America, we just say stadiums, but I, I think you might be... I have no idea. <laughs> right, right. But but anyway, and, and their goals tie with their experience. You know, they want to set up a charter school mm-hmm. network and so on and so forth, go get some business experience through the consulting along the way uh, with an education sort of um, um, field to it. So there's a lot, there's a lot to like here, Graham as a non-traditional candidate. But as a non-traditional candidate, one, they've got to show fit, that they'll fit in, they'll make the most of the experience, they'll contribute to the experience. And then secondly, they've got to show that they do have the wherewithal. So that GRE score will be scrutinized. Yeah, that's my big thing with this candidate is, I mean, I love the kind of non-traditional stuff that they bring to the table. But when I see that you know, undergrad GPA three four in kind of music and communications, and then the GRE of three ten, which I know they're retaking. Um, but I, I get nervous, and I'm hoping that yeah. you know, I really do hope that MBA math um, plus a much better showing on the test that puts them, you know, within range of the kind of averages at these schools they're targeting. Yeah, that could unlock everything because I, I just think, um, you know, and I, I mean, part of me wonders if they should also be doing like business fundamentals or like doubling up on some of this stuff just to like really show the committee that they're ready. But I, I again, I would want to see how the GRE turns out. If they get like a three twenty plus, you know, let's say three twenty five or something, you know, where they really boost that score. And then they do MBA math. I think that's sending a pretty strong signal to the admissions team that yeah. they're capable of surviving the kind of quantitative rigors of the MBA program's first year. So again, a lot a lot to like, though. I mean, I'm rooting yeah. for this candidate. It's a really interesting background, and their goals are quite compelling, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's quite interesting because, you know, here we're saying get that 325 GRE if you can, mm-hmm. and that would really help this profile put their best foot forward. Whereas in our previous candidate, we're saying, come on, is that 325 GRE your best effort? Yeah, and it's all relative. And the reason for that is you <laughs> want to make sure that everything that you produce is your best effort so right. that you get into the best program um, that, that, that you can. I mean, both fascinating profiles. In fact, yeah. our third profile is 
equally brilliant. I know. <laughs> so I just, I just cherry pick people for this week, Graham. Yeah, no, it's really, really interesting this week too. And I think one last comment on this candidate before we move on is just that, like you say, like everything's kind of relative, right? And so, you know, the, the chemical engineer um, who's maybe competing with other chemical engineers doing similar things, that the bar is a little different than someone who's really coming from a completely non-traditional background and, you know, doesn't, you know, it just... Yeah, it's just really interesting how, and I think this should be, if anything, it, it should be comforting to people tuning in here because it means that, you know, each candidate is viewed through their own lens based on their background right. and, and what's, you know, kind of what they've accomplished and where they're headed and stuff. So in any event, um, just wanted to point that out. But let's move on. We'll thank candidate number two for their uh, post this week. And then let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number three. So this candidate actually has nine schools on the target list, and they're not thinking right now, at least, of applying until the they want to start in the fall of 25. So they, they wouldn't be applying just yet, but they have Berkeley, Duke, Harvard, Michigan, MIT, Oxford, Stanford, Wharton, and Yale on the list. And this person's been working in something that they refer to as climate resilience tech. Um, and they want to get into consulting or maybe technology after business school. They've got a GRE score of 336, which is, again, you know, kind of off the charts. They have a GPA of 3.68, very solid there. Four years of work experience located in Boston. Uh, they'd love to land in the Northeast after business school or potentially in Europe. Um, they point out that they have Irish citizenship, so they could probably work in the EU. Um, they mentioned that they are just beginning to explore the possibility of pursuing an MBA and that the podcast has been a huge help. So I now know why you picked them, Alex, <laughs> um, to be featured here. Um, they also said that their biggest concern um, it, it, with respect to their candidacy is about work experience. They indicate they've had three jobs since beginning their professional career. Um, they first worked at an environmental policy think tank. They weren't really satisfied with the impact that that um, entity was was making through research. So they switched over to a climate tech research role for a year before being hired by an organization that they'd been consulting with. So you know they plan to stay in this current job until they start school. And they've already received an, an early promotion, but they're just wondering how much will it hurt their candidacy to have bounced around to this extent. So I'm going to leave that all there, Alex, and let you kind of take us through this candidacy. Yeah, another wonderful candidate this week, I think. Um, I, I actually like the pathway, even though it's over a short period of time, these three roles, because they started off in, in research. Um, they did, didn't think that their impact was direct enough, so they moved into consulting. Um, so, so that gave them exposure, presumably, to some different um, businesses within the same field. I like the fact that they stayed in the same field. And then they jumped ship to one of their clients. So they're actually doing. They, they moved from advising to do, from research to advising to doing. Right. And I think that's a terrific trajectory to, to present um, pre-MBA. Um, so if they can um, frame that, and they, they actually said, in, in our comments that they, they like my framing, so I felt pretty good about that. Um, but, 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 um, but, but, but I like that. I mean, their numbers are outstanding. We don't see too many Irish citizens applying um, to these top programs, so they're, they're gonna be a little bit, um, you know, less, less traditional in that sense um, from a ge geography standpoint. Um, you know, they're extracurriculars, um, you know, they, they, they're a runner, but they also sort of engage folks in their 
area to do running together and fitness and so on and so forth so they're passionate about that i imagine their goals um, are focused on stuff that we need top candidates to be focused on i.e um you know climate issues and so on and so forth mm-hmm. so so from that perspective schools are going to love their goals they're going to love their experience to date they're going to love their um their their numbers etc etc so they're waiting an additional year to apply so by that point that you know they'll have cross 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 their t's dotted their eyes they, they should be in terrific shape i i would think graham um, and they should be applying to the very best schools. I just wonder if they should take a punt this season, if there's value for them to, to get the MBA a year sooner so that they can continue on their path post-MBA a year sooner. If they see value in that, they might want to look at round two this season, take a flyer at just the very best schools. Right. Um, and um, if, they, if they do that and they're not successful, they can still come back as a reapplicant. Um, the following season, and, and again, as we know, reapplicants are tended to be looked upon um, very favourably, assuming that they can show progress yeah. um, in in that year, and so on and so forth. So that would be my only sort of little bit of additional um, insight, other than yeah, I think there's a lot to like here. Yeah, so I think what you're saying, I mean, just very clearly, is that you know waiting a year and, and applying to all these top schools, they, they have a great story to tell and would be very competitive. Um, but I think one that, that that key insight you offered at the end is that why not like throw an app into, you know, a couple of these top schools on their list this year? I mean, it's interesting because unlike many early bird candidates, they already have taken the test. They've got, yeah. they've got everything they need. I mean, they'd have to line up the recommenders, but they could apply in round two. There's no rush because yeah. again, kind of a non-traditional background. Uh, but imagine, you know, starting that journey with the MBA a year earlier. I mean, there's nothing, you know, that wouldn't hurt them. Um, and I think, yeah, given their background and numbers and, you know, compelling kind of career plan, schools would snatch this candidate up. And so I would, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think another myth we need to bust this week, other than the, if you're non-traditional, you have to apply in round one, um, one, which was not true. Uh, the other myth we could bust is that, you know, like you say, reapplying to business school, no big deal. I mean, schools, the, the acceptance rate for reapplicants is much higher than it is for, tradi- you know, first-timers. And as long as you say you you kind of continue to grow and have, a, you know, additional storyline to tell and didn't sit on your couch for the uh, intervening year while you were waiting to reapply, then, you know, it, it's fine. Yeah. So there's no stigma. Yeah. Um, so I, I would absolutely recommend this person take a flyer and, and yeah. get an app in this year. But take a flyer at only the very top schools. Right, right. right? Yeah, this is, yeah. So only, yeah, let's say the schools they got listed, Harvard, Stanford, and, and Wharton, for example. Right. Um, or, or maybe even just Harvard and Stanford. I mean, obviously, we're big Wharton fans, but, um, but only take a flyer at the very top schools. Because, again, the rationale would be, okay, next season, your profile will be that bit stronger for being in your current role mm-hmm. and getting the additional promotion and so on and so forth. Yeah. So what they don't want to do is maybe get the admit from a top 16 program this season and then go to that program when they could have gone to a top three, top two program right. the following season. So only apply to those top two or three programs this season if they decide that that's what they want to do. Maybe they've absolutely determined that another year is their best um, yeah. um, strategy, and which is perfectly great. Um, but if they were waffling just a little bit, that's, that's what I'd, I'd, I'd suggest they might yeah. at least look at. 
Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. The last thing I'm going to mention, just with respect to this candidacy, is they talk about you know landing in the Northeast or potentially in Europe. And I would say, do your homework on that front in terms of you know strength of alumni network in these markets, and you know just making sure that they're verifying that you know if they were to go to Harvard, you know, like what's the Harvard Alumni Club like in Dublin or in Paris or, or wherever they might end up landing to do this type yeah. of work. Just it's worthwhile to do those deep dives in case they want to really maintain that um, as an option. I do think they should probably just go to a top U.S. program given their profile, and then you know they'll have some options <laughs> either way. Yeah, but no doubt. in any event, yeah. um, I want to thank them for sharing their candidacy and for the kind words about the podcast. Alex, thanks for picking these candidacies out. Uh, we'll be back in one week's time with another episode of Wiretaps, and I'll see you then, Alex. Brilliant. Good luck, everyone. Stay safe.